you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition, proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining us this month to talk about Spidey, the Marvel Treasury Edition, is Dan Gavazdan. Hi, Dan. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's fun to be here because... I own a couple of treasury editions, but it's not really my thing. And so like getting brought in to bring some Spidey expertise to this show and kind of merge that with your understanding of treasuries is interesting to me because I'm actually eager to learn more about the format and how the treasuries that perhaps I've experienced are either the same or different than anything that you, you know you normally talk about. That is the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because, like I said, this is Spidey. I was about to say Spidey number one, but it's not numbered. It's just Spidey, Marvel, Marvel Treasury Edition. This was released in 2016, and it was the first new Marvel Treasury Edition that they had done in decades. And I was so excited because I thought, wow, they're bringing the format back. DC had been doing it in sparingly, the Alex Ross books in the 90s and the occasional one-off here and there. But Marvel, you know, it was like, wow, they're their premier character reprinting new, you know, newish stories. This is going to be the beginning of a whole new line of treasury comics for Marvel Comics. Well, not so much. <laughs> they did, they did a couple more. They did a Guardians of the Galaxy, of course, tied into the movie. They did a uh, Women of Power, which is a, you know, all women superheroes treasuries. And certainly they've done those grand design books by Ed Piscor and other people, but they didn't, right. they just did not bring it back the way I thought they did. And so, you know, I, my excitement for this book was, was, was so palpable. And then it was kind of like, Oh, this is, I guess this is going to be it. This is the only kind of one they're ever going to do. Well, I mean, you you are highlighting a real hole in Marvel's catalog. You know, DC is great about, like, you know, printing graphic novels and Elseworld stories and, you know, really, like, the black label. And Marvel has some of that. You know, we've recently gotten some Spidey ones, you know, the the what was the, the Spider-Man life story and mm. and things like that that are kind of standalone things, but they're never really marketed that way. Like, they're mm. not really ever sold as like a graphic novel or a tale so big that it needs to be printed in in this way i don't even know if it counts as a treasury edition but they've been doing recently doing some like some you know real like strong art books you know like the trad more mm-hmm. silver surfer and mm-hmm. stuff and i know that got printed large i don't know if you count that as a treasury edition <laughs> um i don't know you know, either <laughs> they're kind of dipping their toes in but like i know that i like i don't really read dc issue to issue I read all the graphic novels that DC puts out and my relationship with Marvel is the exact opposite. And boy, would I kill to get more like premium Marvel books like the one we're going to talk about today. Like however you feel about the content. I remember walking into, I go to the last bookstore in LA and they had one of these books prompt, you know, like prominently displayed 
you know, in their, in their, uh, you know, book section, mm-hmm. or I guess their kids book section. And I was like, how cool. Like you never see something like that. So I, I, I sympathize with you <laughs> that like there is, there is a missing element here. Absolutely. And he said, and we'll get into the details of kind of why I'm going to handle this book the way I, uh, way I am. Cause it's a little, I'm going to handle it a little bit differently than I do in my typical episodes of treasure cast where we're talking about a classic treasury from the seventies or whatever, the early eighties, whatever. But I do want to start with you uh, in terms of your history. If you have any at all with the treasury format, I don't know how old you are, but I'm bet I'm betting that you came around in the comics or were start- probably even born after the treasuries had come and gone as a format, which would have been around 1982. Yeah, so I was born in 86. So I don't have any particular fondness for them other than buying the ones like, you know, I bought all of the like plus size Spider-Man magazines and, and you know, those premium formats. And I love those books. I find them incredibly difficult to bag and board because nobody sells right. those extra large boards singularly. You either buy a hundred of them or you buy zero <laughs> of them. And I'm never going to have enough to fill a hundred bags and boards. Um, you know, but when I see them, you know, I, I, you know, what, like there's the, what Marvel, like the Spider-Man versus Superman stuff that you see every now and again. Mm-hmm. And I've picked up a few of those here and there, but it's not something that I'm like, I own every, Issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Web of, Adjectiveless, Spectacular, and on and on. But I don't have—I have not made the treasuries part of that quest. So I'm kind of, you know, don't tell my wife. But I'm kind of waiting for you to convince me that I should. <laughs> uh, uh, but but the, to answer your question, no, I don't have a particular fondness for treasury editions. But this is the one that I, in contemporary time. Did experience and did purchase on the shelf. Okay, all right, that's perfect. Let's say I will do my best to to try and sway you into the <laughs> into the realm of treasury editions because I mean, as I've said on previous episodes here, like that was this was the the big format when I was a kid, and it really, as much as I loved regular comics, and obviously I did because that's that was the the main format. It was I think it was these that sold me on comics and taught me about comics history in a way that I never really encountered before. And that's why they're so beloved to me. And so I do feel like for people that didn't get to enjoy them when they came out and were brand new, that they get to, that they're missing something. So when, when the DC or Marvel or some other company starts doing them again, I get so excited because like, oh, maybe they'll catch on again. And they never quite do. Stop me if this is like boring old news for your listeners, but like, what is it about the treasury that lent itself to uh, informing you about comics history was it the m- very fact that it was reprinted stuff or did they have additional supplemental material that that really helped enrich your knowledge of things or Both. like because i used to pick up the marvel indexes mm-hmm. and that was a great way for me to get you know knowledge on things absolutely yeah well no it was it was both because i mean this is the 70s when i'm a little kid and uh, my dad is buying these for me to to distract me while uh, you know he's trying to get other stuff done, and <laughs> you know this is you know obviously long before trade paperbacks. You know, um, th- yeah, there was reprinted material. Certainly, Marvel and DC had ongoing regular titles that reprinted old things, but this was the first time you would have like a you know a themed collection. You know, of like Batman stories, or and they would sometimes. Uh, you just mentioned put in this ancillary material like there's a Batman treasury that runs a sequence from the Batman newspaper strip from the 40s mm. 
well, where was I ever going to see that in, in 1976? <laughs> I didn't even yeah. know that was a thing. You know, I was like, two face dies at the end of that. I'm like, wait, two, two face is dead. He's not dead in the cot. Like, I don't, you know, so there was stuff like that. It also got, uh, got me to see artists that I never would have seen because it's guys from the forties and the fifties that I didn't even know yeah. about. And then on the, on the flip side of that, DC and Marvel, especially when they started doing the original material, sold them as like this story that we're doing as the thing you just mentioned, like Superman versus Spider-Man is so special. We have to do it big. It can't fit in a regular comic. It's yeah. got to be big. And the, the, um, you know, when they did Superman versus Muhammad Ali or the second, you know, uh, Hulk versus Batman. And so it was that kind of thing. And plus, you know, I'm a kid. I'm five, six, seven. The comics are even bigger than they are to me now <laughs> because I'm a tiny little person. So it was, you know, holding these immense pages and it just, it is much, I mean, I already loved the comic book format, the medium, but then this gave me an understanding of the breadth of the history of comics that I couldn't get any other way. And so that's why these things became so beloved to me. And then and like you talked about the Marvel indexes, I dug into Marvel saga and the index yeah. and who's who and the official handbook of the Marvel universe and all, all the, and the overstreet price guides. I used to read the overstreet price guides. Like they were books because they was, <laughs> I know they were feeling. history. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really what for someone with my encyclopedic kind of desire, knowledge, desire to have that kind of knowledge, a bad, bad way to keep, a, keep away girls, I guess. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, <laughs> that was of interest to me. And so the treasury's really cemented that and it's never left me even though like i said the format is you know pretty much just for specialty people and for nostalgia for the most part alex ross is able to do treasuries because he's got enough commercial heft to get it done you know and i've never talked to anybody from marvel about this treasury edition i would love to i would love to find whose idea was this like who who thought let's do this again uh, and reprint this. I mean, uh, in, in this format, I would love to know what the impetus was. It obviously must not have sold that well because they didn't do more of them. You know, they didn't, they didn't follow up with, you know, dozens and dozens of more. They did a couple and then they kind of faded out. So obviously it was not the kind of hit that maybe they hoped it would be. Well, I mean, before we, even, I mean, and we'll get into this, I think when we talk about the content of this is like, I'm actually really curious about the chicken and egg of this treasury because all the, you know, issues or all the stories contained within this treasury were printed as single issues first. Right. You know, and so they may have seen, we've got these issues, let's give it a try. These are good jumping on points for young readers. And you, we, we can argue the merits of that uh, when we talk about the comic. Uh, or if, you know, those stories themselves were crafted uh, in a way to be reprinted in, in, in a treasury. Uh, I, I'll talk about that when we talk about the Miles Morales stuff, because okay. it comes at a very interesting point in Miles Morales's life in the comics that is weirdly not reflected in the issues, but fits really well into a treasury like this. Okay. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you think about all that. Okay, absolutely. So how do you so- want to get started here, Robert? Well, let's do, we're going to, first of all, this, this series, Spidey, like, okay, I would admit straight up. I have not read a Spider-Man comic, a brand new Spider-Man comic outside of this treasury edition in probably 20 years. It's oh, wow. not a, it's not a knock on Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. I grew up reading Spider-Man. I've seen all the movies, you know, uh, so it's, I loved Spidey super stories. I watched the Spider-Man cartoons. It's never been that the character, it's just, I've kind of 
I don't buy modern comics anymore. And I've just, it's a lot of these characters that I grew up with just faded from me. And I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm, that's just like another part of my life. And I'm not kind of interested in going back and reading them. So this Spidey, when it was called Spidey, right? I just thought, I didn't know that was a series. I just thought they were just calling it Spidey because that's his nickname. I was like, okay, that's why they're calling. Why are they calling it Spider-Man? I don't know. They're calling it Spidey. Whatever. That's fine. So then I got this and I see that, oh, it's a reprint of the first three issues of the Spidey series. Spidey numbers one, two, and three. You just mentioned. And I want to give the creator credits here. It's Robbie Thompson, his writer, artist, sir, Nick Bradshaw, Jim Campbell. And then you've got the, the coloring by Rochelle Rosenberg and I think letters by Travis Landon. So what was your, as a Spider-Man expert, I should mention, I don't think I've even said it. You're the co-host, of course, of the amazing Spider-Talk podcast. That's why, uh, and I've heard you on that show, because even though he said, I don't listen to, I don't read Spider-Man <laughs> comics, I listen to your show because I find it highly entertaining, even though you're talking about stuff I don't really follow. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to have an expert to talk about stuff that I, because normally when it's the, you know, said, if it's a Spider-Man treasury from the 70s, I kind of know where Spider-Man is at that point. Sure. You know, I'm like, okay, this is, he's now dating. Gwen is dead. He's on Mary Jane. You know, he's on the Mary Jane. He's now doing this. He's that. And oh, Green Goblin is dead. I kind of know where we are. But for this, I was like, well, I'm totally, especially for the backstories with the Miles Morales, I'm totally at sea as to what yeah. is going on and what I know who Miles Morales is beyond that. So that is why I wanted to have you on. I needed a Spider-Man expert to, to properly cover this book. So, this series, the Spidey series, like what what are your overall thoughts on it as an as an ongoing Spider-Man series? Well, it's funny because, um, you know, this kind of launched out of an era where, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how uh, familiar you are with Superior Spider-Man. Not at um, all. So Superior Spider-Man was this uh, book that they canceled Amazing Spider-Man for a, about a year okay. and it was replaced with a title called superior spider-man where uh dr octopus swapped his brain into peter parker's body <laughs> like freaky friday style Fantastic. and then and then murdered dr octopus with peter's brain in it and peter was dead and it was right. it was peter but with otto octavius inside of his body living his life and trying to be the superior spider-man and it's a great series uh, that sounds really silly on the face of it, but it's really excellent. And I think it's one of the most exciting eras of modern Spider-Man, you know, like flaws and all. And, uh, you know, so the book had like a bit of a darker tone for a while there, you know, like what does Peter Parker's Spider-Man look like completely unrestrained by moral morality, uh, you know, you on and on and on and on. And so when that era ended, there was kind of a like period where they wanted to offer up all these kind of like happier reboots of Spider-Man, like like a, uh -huh. like a more positive entry point okay. for, for readers who aren't so mired in all of that. Um, you know, they had the Amazing Spider-Man uh, 2, I believe, movie coming out. Um, and so there was some synergy with that. Um, you know, they wanted to just kind of flood the market with, you know, maybe not flood the market, but, and so it was funny, they launched this Spidey book and the solicit said, like, they were basically advertising it like an untold tales of Spider-Man. Right. Uh, okay. Reboot. Like, Hey, we're going to give you more stories from Peter Parker's past, um, from when he was just putting on the suit 
in a, like a friendly way. And I thought, that's cool. I love Untold Tales of Spider-Man. And they said specifically that this was like an in-continuity thing. Okay. But then when we picked it up, and it was definitely not in in-continuity story, <laughs> I felt a little betrayed by it, by the marketing. Not that I wouldn't have picked it up anyway, but like it did feel like a little bit of a cheat to say like, hey, these stories count when they definitely don't. I mean, like they're, you know, and this is not a bad thing, but like just in terms of continuity, they are characters that are like, like they are of different race and gender and, uh, and he meets characters that he wouldn't have known. Like he's in high school with Gwen Stacy. Right. In the comic. He doesn't meet Gwen Stacy till college. So there's no way that like this could be an incontinuity story unless everybody was asleep at the wheel, you know? Um, <laughs> And, you know, once you accept that, I thought that this was a really fun entry point for, like, new readers into, like, the Adventures of Spider-Man. I mean, I think it's safe to say that, like, oh, wait, no, it was Homecoming, I believe, that came out around this. So, okay. like, the main character, like, Peter Parker looks like Tom Holland, mm-hmm. I think, in, in in this. You know, like, they are emphasizing you know, the kind of like youthful element uh, in that regard. And I thought it was a, it's a very short lived series. Like I think it ran six issues. And oh, then, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then it, and then there's been these like, kind of like uh spidey schools out is another one. There've been these one shots here and there over the years, you know, not with Nick Bradshaw. They've, they brought in an artist named Nathan Stockman, who's done a few one shots with Spidey. Um, but for me, the appeal of this was like, I think Robbie Thompson has a fun voice for youthful characters. And I especially think Nick Bradshaw's artwork is very different than what you would normally see in a Spider-Man comic. And the pages are packed, which I think makes it really great for like a treasury. Yes. Edition. Yes. Um, I do think it's a really odd thing that they chose not to include the full story in the treasury edition. Cause it's only the first half. Like they're all little individual tales, but, like, there's this ongoing thread of Peter working with Gwen to try to pass his history. Exactly. Right. And none of it gets resolved in the Treasury because there's three more issues of it to round out the trade paperback uh, of it. So it's kind of a strange thing, the Treasury, in that it exists really, I think, it's just like an entry point to, like, this is a very good entry point for for Spider-Man minus all the baggage and reflective of what you see on the movie screen. And the Miles Morales one, you know, is kind of the same deal. Okay. See, now, Dan, that is exactly why I wanted you on so I could understand this. Because, I, first of all, like the logo, right, of the Treasury. And by the way, everybody, you'll be able to see pages from this on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. Like the logo, the Spidey logo is very similar to the Spidey Super Stories logo right. from the 70s. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. like, And then I read the stories and I'm like... This seems to be this, whatever this book is. This does seem to be the midpoint between what I would guess was the regular ongoing continuity of Spider-Man, which you just delineated with superior Spider-Man and stuff with brain switching and murder and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then, which is for older, you know, older. Readers. Yeah. The Spidey book is definitely oriented towards like 20 something. There you go. Up. Right. Yeah. And then you've got Spidey super stories, which was aimed at little kids. I mean, just, yeah. you know, expressly aimed at five year olds. Six-year-olds just kind of learning how to read uh, something, you know, on in kind of a slightly longer form. So I was like, okay, 
I'm I'm figuring that out. Then I'm reading the stories, and I'm like, huh, okay, these like. I was like, did they just reboot Spider-Man completely? Because it's like, like they feel modern in terms of like the fashion and just the way they are presented. But yet I'm like, okay, but this is like early Spider-Man. This is like, this is not that Gwen is alive. Like, so I'm, gl- I'm glad now you explained this to me. Cause I just was like, did they just completely reboot Spider-Man? And I just never heard about that. But the case is no, this is in between tales. But as you just pointed out, there's little bits where you're like, well, no, they're, they're rewriting it anyway. In terms it's, of its, own, it's its own universe. I don't know if it's ever gotten an earth delineation. I'm sure okay. it has, um, <laughs> you know, uh, like, I don't know if their plan was for this to become like a new version of like ultimate Spider-Man that would keep going. If it was popular enough, I don't think that this book, book has quite the vision of brian michael bendis and mark bagley's ultimate mm-hmm. spider-man okay which i i don't know if you've read that but i would strongly oh. encourage you to do so i did read some of it a very long time ago okay like that was a reboot of a modern reboot but now that modern reboot is 25 years old right. so right. you know um and now they're rebooting the ultimate uh universe like in a week so, so <laughs> you know it's good you never know, right? So, like, but yeah, Spidey exists as like its own thing, and they do release new one-shot issues every now and again. And I don't even know if they acknowledge it as being in this continuity, but it is. Like, it's it's clearly aimed at like middle school, young teen audiences, you know. Okay. Like, and the YA book market is huge right now. Right. So, yes. like, it may it makes sense, you know. Maybe they found that the Treasury edition was too big to stock on Barnes Noble shelves in, in you know, it's always got to be the, at the top. Right. Yeah. And, um, but that's reserved for your dark Knight returns and your watchmen and mm-hmm. your, mm-hmm. you know, the absolute editions. Right. Right. So maybe they just found like there wasn't really a place for this specific format when everything else is built for a very strictly delineated trade size. Right. So I, I, I can't really say, and I, I would, you know, it's 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 not really the top of my list of things I would ask a Spider-Man editor if they came into my uh, <laughs> you know uh, show, but like it is this strange anomaly uh, that I'm eager to talk with you about because it does exist as its own thing as an experiment that was never really repeated ever again. I don't know how much you concern yourself with uh, like the inner workings of the industry in terms of like sales and stuff, but I am kind of baffled at the idea that there would be a Spider-Man comic that didn't sell well enough to keep going when I would think that Spider-Man, any book with Spider-Man on the cover is probably selling better than most of the rest of the Marvel line at this point. You know what I mean? So I'm always like, so does Marvel have different expectations for a Spider-Man comic that they wouldn't have for say, you know, if they brought back Nomad or, you know, you know what I mean? That kind of thing is it's like, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I asked myself that a lot because there's a ton of Spider-Man B titles that you're like, was anyone asking for this? <laughs> and, and, and yet at the same time, you don't get books about characters that you would actually want to, uh, to read about. And I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always a, like a little bit like, you know, confused by what choices are made and and where so um, i am curious though like coming into this with no backstory like what did you did you seriously just think that they had rebooted spider-man yes. while, while yeah yeah i was like okay i guess at some point they just started spider-man over 
the kind of like new 52 to him. And I'm like, okay, cool. They got back to basic Spider-Man because I will say these, these three first three issues, the, the villain of the first one is Doc Ock. Second one is Sandman. Third one is Lizard. And I love them. Like I yeah, really fun. enjoyed them. And the artwork by Bradshaw and Campbell, I think is fantastic. I mean, and it works really well in the treasury format because it's so dense that seeing it at a larger size and on slightly better paper to me really gives it, you know, an extra oomph. Like they really pack a ton of detail into these pages, but yet it, the, the storytelling is very fluid. I love the, the heavy ink line on Spider-Man. He kind of pops off the page. So yeah. it was, it really felt like, wow, this is like sort of classic Spider-Man. Yeah. And we've seen him take on Doc Ock 40 gajillion times. But for someone like me who hasn't, as I said earlier, I haven't read a Spider-Man comic in a long time. This felt fresh and kind of just fun again. So I was like, if this is what Spider-Man is now, good on you, Marvel. You know, it's fantastic. So, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's very much not what Spider-Man is now. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Uh, not to say I don't like what Spider-Man is now, but it's not this. Um, okay. Uh, and th- I do find this book a breath of fresh air. Like, it, like you know. I do think this kind of like readaptation of youthful Spider-Man is kind of a dime a dozen, but okay. I, I think the, the artwork in this and the treasury size of it makes it unique, you oh, know? Yeah. And I, it's one of those things I double dipped on cause I bought them as individual issues, but then I bought the treasury too, just because I thought it was worth seeing at, at that scale, you know? And I, I've picked up all the additional Spidey stories after this, but none of them hit quite as hard uh, as the Nick Bradshaw penciled ones, just because I think those pencils are so unique. I mean, even his Spidey is like designed in a unique way. Like his mask has like a web kind of splattered under the middle of it that doesn't extend to the corners of the mask. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> you can see like his ear kind of like, but it's really awkward. And, and yet in a way, it's really kind of wonderful what, what a teenager would kind of be like mm-hmm. you know uh doing this um and it leans into a lot of tropes that i don't th- i think are kind of like what people assume spider-man was like when he started like there's the whole like getting beat up by bullies mm-hmm. and getting you know his head you know getting swirly and stuff which i also think is kind of an outdated like look at what bullies are, right. you know. Like, now we'll all be like modern... making fun of you on Instagram or something. Yeah, here's modern Spider-Man with 1980s bullies, but right. um, <laughs> uh, but that was never a part of Spider-Man. Like he was never really bullied, like mm-hmm. when he was young. But that's you know, like not not to the extent uh, displayed here. But uh, anyway, I thought this was this was a fun story. So okay. Uh, d- now I'm really curious what you thought about the what what I thought was a strange inclusion is the second half uh, of the Treasury Edition. Yes. So okay, the second, the other. There's five stories as I mentioned. It's reprints Spidey's one, two, and three, and then you've got a reprints of. Was this book simply called Spider Man? This, it this was. other book. I, we can get Boy, into why confusing. that is. Good Do- lord, <laughs> they really make things harder for for new readers of like calling a book spider-man like well it's gonna be you know but it's reprinted spider-man numbers one and two and those are by brian michael bendis sarah rochelle gaetano carlucci justin sponsor and Corey petite and that is the miles morales spider-man and it's this two-part story where he takes on a villain called blackheart and this is clearly 
picking up from some other story because it starts right in the middle of this giant battle where a bunch of Marvel heroes are laying there unconscious and stuff. So where is where's all this coming from? Well, this is a really long story, but if you're in for it, we'll we'll get in for it. That's um, why you know spider talk. That's the name all right. Of the so show, so man. we'll talk about the cover of the issue. So like uh, you know, I I don't know how much you know about Miles Morales, but he started off in the Ultimate Universe. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Ultimate line ran for 160 issues of of Sp- Ultimate Spider Man, and then Peter Parker died, and Miles took over. Okay. And uh that comic continued on with a bunch of different titles all of which were ultimate there's one Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate Comics Miles Morales Spider-Man. <laughs> oh you know, it kept the same numbering but they kept changing oh, it up, right? Wow. So this title of Spider-Man was supposed to be kind of like a declarative statement. Like, you know what? We don't need to put any Oh, mod- no know, modifiers, just yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah, he okay. is Spider-Man. Like, and you can see that reflected in the story in these two issues where, like, Peter declares, no, he's Spider-Man, you know? And that was the kind of, like, I guess kind of bold declaration at the that point in time, which is, like, Marvel's not really known for legacy heroes in the way DC is. Right. And now they are. <laughs> Everybody's got a legacy character now. And Spider-Man's got more than most. I say that kind of forlornly as much as I like Miles. Um, so like Miles got to take on the, the, the name Spider-Man officially. Um, but where this comes into the storyline is, you know, Miles was in the ultimate universe doing his thing for a long time. And then there was a big, you know, uh, Jonathan Hickman took over writing Avengers and new Avengers, uh, after he wrote, um, uh, an ultimate line, which is basically the ultimate universe's version of the Avengers. Right. Right. So he like graduated from that never got to finish that great story, but then he took on Avengers and new Avengers and people consider it one of the best runs of Avengers ever. But basically it's the storyline we're about to get in the MCU, which is the entire multiverse starts collapsing in on themselves. And it's up to the Avengers to like stop it or facilitate it. And they end up basically like choosing genocide you know all your favorite heroes are are (laughs) genocidal maniacs um i mean they have no choice they have no choice but basically eventually the entire multiverse collapses into the the only two universes left are the 616 universe the regular marvel universe and the ultimate universe and um obviously marvel was like we can't get rid of the ultimate line because we've got a lot of really fan favorite characters there, mm-hmm. specifically Miles Morales. So there's a big Secret Wars event to culminate Jonathan Hickman's run. I think it's the best event Marvel has ever done. It's mm. incredible. Sod Ribic doing the artwork. It's just a stunning nine issue book. And all of the Marvel line was canceled for like six months. And, and it was replaced with Secret Wars and all these stories from Battle World. And it was just a compilation of pocket universes uh, all kind of shoved together, uh, like the last remnants of all of the Marvel Universe. And at the end of it, uh, Miles, you know, uh, ends up saving the Ultimate Universe by giving a a hamburger. Uh, It's a whole complicated thing. Anyway, (laughs) all all to say is like Miles' family gets saved from this and a new universe is built, which is basically just the regular 616 universe but with Miles and his family in it. Okay. Now, 
This is the first issue that picks up after that. Okay. Uh, right. Here. And the confusing thing is, like, Miles only exists because he watched Peter Parker die and didn't do anything to stop it. And that's his motivating, you know, drive, just like in the Into the Spider-Verse movie, right? But now he's in a universe where there is a Peter Parker and his family is all inserted into this other universe. And there's not really any attempt to clear that up at all in these issues. It's okay. kind of a fairly straightforward, like, Miles is doing his thing and he, the Avengers fail to stop Blackheart, but he's able to stop him. And that gets Peter to say, no, you're Spider-Man, which is a great story. And that's why I wondered if perhaps this format of the treasury was baked in because you don't want to get into the, all that mess around secret wars if you're going to include these issues in a treasury. Right. You know, it's actually a fairly clean introduction to who Miles Morales is. You know, with some, you know, other confusing stuff. Like at the time, Peter Parker came back from Secret Wars and it like jumps six months into the future. And we find out that Peter is basically running a Fortune 500 company and he's gone like global Parker Industries. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's because Otto Octavius, when he was in his body, basically got a doctorate and was like, started his own company and was successful in a way that Peter never could have been. Uh, and so Peter basically like gets his body back only to find like, Oh, I'm now running a fortune 500 company. Right. So when you see him in this issue, he's got this like glowing spider on his chest and mm -hmm. everybody's talking about him going global and worldwide. And that's because that's what's going on with him. So there's a lot of weird, like vestigial tale stuff in this comic that like, it's not just a clean thing meant just for a treasury. It's clearly a part of something else, as you implied. Right. I don't know if I cleared up anything for you or made it 10 times more complicated. Well, it, I think if I had been a regular, normal person, I would be baffled. But having lived in the world of comics for 50 years, I, I, yeah, all right, Parallel Earths, and now this version is that. I, I, you know, that, I, I'm kind of used to that. So it, it makes sense on some sort of basic level of like, yeah, this is what happens in superhero comics. You mentioned earlier about like, you know, the idea of like the chicken and the egg, you know, like what came first. And I am like a lot of the classic treasuries are clearly meant to be samplers of the character. Right. And, and I always wonder, well, okay. When they're doing like a greatest hits compilation, like the Superman ones had stories from like the thirties, forties and fifties and sixties, Batman, same thing. And then I'm like, Okay, they're clearly meant to be these sort of keepsake editions for these characters, and they're trying to give you, you know, here's the character over many decades. And then I think, okay, but at this point, does anybody not know Superman? So what, <laughs> what, what new reader are you trying to tap into? And so on the one hand, I say it's weird to me that this treasury is called Spidey, and the cover is by, you know, Nick Bradshaw, and it's clearly looking like it's, this these adventures and then you get these two other stories in the back that are tonally very different it's a different spider-man it's a different it's much world. more adult much yeah. more adult and so i'm like that feels like a like why didn't they just do why if you're calling the treasury spidey why not just reprint all six spideys and that's the treasury why try and do this other thing but then at the same time i say but yeah but if marvel is trying to present a sort of gift edition, which is this thing I think is kind of aimed a little bit at that of like, 
This is maybe something you get a kid in your life for Christmas because it's got a higher price point. It feels more like, you know, an actual kind of like a you're getting a kid or somebody like an actual book. Then it's more of a sampler because it's like, okay, well, the first half is Peter Parker, Spider-Man. And the second half is Miles Morales, Spider-Man. These, these, this is the current state of Spider-Man and the moment. And that's what this book is representing. So, but I never know whether it's, but at the same time, it's like, is there anybody who doesn't know who Spider-Man is at this point? Like, I, I think it's meant for like a young teen audience to like get into comics maybe for the first time. Okay. You know, like, you know, and to get a book into like Barnes and Noble or mm-hmm. like, you know, our bigger retailers in a way that's like accessible. You know, you walk, I mean, like DC's better about it, but you walk into any section of a store and ask for like a Marvel book. One, Marvel doesn't reprint anything. Like they just don't. Like they, they have their best books. Like you cannot get like they're all the runs that I would say this should be your first Spider-Man title. They haven't printed in a decade, you know, really like, uh, yeah, they're really bad about like uh, reprinting that like JM, uh, JM, JM, like run on Spider-Man exists nowhere in print. It's not even on their like digital apps for whatever. Wow. Reason. I didn't know the, that. Like, the best run of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of weird stuff. Like, I don't know why JMS's first, you know, coming home arc where Spidey fights Moreland isn't like always being reprinted. Like that is the book to get people into Spider-Man, but they just don't, they, you know, like you, you go and you'll find a smattering of recent titles, you know? So like a book like this is actually, I, I find fairly refreshing because I get asked all the time, you know, cause everybody knows me as the Spider-Man guy and they're like, well, like, what would you get for your for my kid? You know, so I end mm-hmm. up buying like a lot of the Ditko reprints, which they reprint all the time, right? But like, if I wanted to get them something more modern, that's a tougher question to answer, you know. <laughs> and this might be it, you know, because uh, I do find this fairly reader friendly mm-hmm. as far as like comic books go. Yeah, I thought right. I feel again. I mean, I, I certainly have a you know deep familiarity with the Spider Man world. But as, as I mentioned, I haven't read a new book in 20 years. And so I was coming at this kind of blind. And I will admit, as much as I enjoyed the Miles Morales stories for what they were, I was like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I don't know yeah. what, like, what, you know, I just, like, I don't know who Blackheart is. I don't know what these villains, all the heroes have been. Like, I was just like, okay, I don't, I, I'm just kind of following the thread of it for what's here. But the back stuff, I don't understand. But the first three, just felt like, okay, this is right ahead, right over the plate Spider-Man stories. I already mentioned that like each, each issue is a classic villain, Doc Ock, Sandman, the lizard. I mean, it's just trip hammering through all of your favorites. And especially again with the artwork by by Nick Bradshaw and, and Jim Campbell, they give you these double page spreads of the villain doing the thing you expect them to like doc ock with yeah. his tentacles flying around the sandman is you know envelops spider-man in the glop of his of his body the lizard bursts through and he's like wrapping him with the t- like it's giving you these kind of like kapow moments where you're like yeah that's what i would want to see if spider-man's facing the lizard is this kind of you know this moment and it's like that's what it feels like that that's where they were written to be it's like let's do straight ahead right down the center of the plate spider-man stories and so as much as again i thought the morales ones were, were fine it was the first three that i was like man it actually would made me want to go find the rest of the issues because i enjoyed them so much well good <laughs> they they exist you know there's 
there's at least three more uh, of of that kind. Uh, you know, the the Miles Morales one, like, you know, there isn't really a backstory to the Avengers being all knocked out there. Like, okay, the idea is that they just got beat by Blackheart before Miles showed up. Oh, know? okay, and okay, and there isn't really any more to Blackheart. He's an old uh, demonic Marvel villain. He never shows up again in a Miles book. He's just kind of villain of the week there for Miles to punch around. The the core of there is really about like can Miles be bestowed with the title of Spider-Man? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think in 2016 that was a uh like a bolder statement than today where we have two Miles Morales movies that are re- like one that won an Oscar and one that's right. breaking box office records right, right now, you right. know. So Okay. All right. <laughs> that makes total sense. So as a uh, kind of stepping back from this book in general, like, do you, do you have a preference for who your Spider-Man is? Is, is it Miles Morales? Is it Peter Parker? Uh, I mean, it's, I grew up with Peter Parker, you know, I, I, I honestly like my, my favorite Spider-Man movie is into the Spider-Verse. Um, yeah. I have a one-year-old and I, the reason I have a child is that movie. Like it moves right? me so much. Right. Um, and I, I've talked about that on my show yep. and, and stuff like yep. that. So that that like that movie has a particular uh, thing to me, and I I like the character of Miles Morales. I think his comics have never been great. Hmm. Like I can't point to a story for Miles Morales where I'm like, that's the Miles Morales story that you should read. Like I just don't think that the character. Like uh, I think Bendis did a good job creating him, but then Bendis. Bendis is not the writer he used to be, and so his series kind of treaded water for a long time. And then Saladin Ahmed took over the book, and I thought it was fine and in, 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 you know and good in bits and spurts. But he's never had a really great run, and his character is less defined from Peter Parker than the movie version of Miles is. Like in the movie version, Miles is like interested in art and music and. Mm-hmm. He's got like a more unique differentiator than than Peter, and in the comics he kind of just feels like um like a little bit of a me too Peter. I will say um the current run that's about like eight issues in for Miles Morales I think is spectacular. No pun intended. Really, yeah, no pun intended, <laughs> and has um a really really great like unique voice behind it. The writer Cody Ziegler that's doing it right now he writes the characters using like modern speech that you might find in Brooklyn, you know, um, like it reads like someone who understands kids instead of someone who's writing like is in their forties and is writing kids. Right. right um, yeah. And I find that really refreshing. Like that book right now is a really wonderful book, but um, I just don't think that the character has had the time or space to develop like Peter has. And, and to be fair, like Peter's comics have been a real mixed bag over the past decade that miles has existed too. So I think the Spider-Man office is in a bit of a rough shape at the Mm -hmm. moment. So I wouldn't even necessarily blame it on miles, but as such, you know, I've got the fondness of 60 years of Peter stories, right. You know, to pull from I imagine Peter will always be my guy. But you know, and and Peter B. Parker too. But I'm I am I am not one of these people that like doesn't believe in the the possibility of Miles Morales. I even like him in the video games a lot. 
But I don't think the comics have done anything. Like there's like the comic you just read where him he and Peter team up is one of the very few where that ever happens. And you'd be like, hmm. wait a minute, shouldn't these two be teaming up all the time? They're like both very popular. They both exist in the same realm as each other. And yet the books hardly acknowledge that the other one exists. Hmm. Um, and I think it's because we have this artificial age lock on Peter where like they don't want Peter to age out of his 20s. Right, right. And... So if you have like an artificially age locked Peter and you have like an older teenage Miles, it gets kind of weird. Yeah, they're gonna catch. Yeah. They're gonna catch up to each other. <laughs> yeah, like the the smart thing about the movie is they let Peter age up. You know, mm-hmm. like like you got Peter B. Parker who has a kid and is married to MJ, and he has a very different life than Miles. But the comics pulled the one more day thing, and we're like, no, we have to arrest Peter at a certain age. And so I feel like they're committed to that controversial choice. And therefore it's weird to team up like a 27 Peter with a like teenage miles for whatever reason. So, gotcha. Gotcha. It's interesting to think that uh, due to the, the spider verse movies that uh, which are of course seen by way, way like magnet, you know, orders of magnitude more yeah. people than ever read the comic. There's going to be, at least one generation, probably multiple generations, that know Spider Man as Miles Morales, not Peter Parker, because oh, Miles it's, Morales it's is already the, is happening. The, yeah, I, I would assume so. Yeah, at this point, yeah. Uh, even with the live action Spider Man being in the movies, the Spider Verse movies, I feel like those are the cultural touchstones. Those are the things that are really resonating with people. I mean, it says something the fact that the first they make far movie, less money, but but yeah, the first Spider Verse movie did very well. But it's not it didn't crush in the box office the way the second one is, because that says, yeah, because the first one made its way to home video and everybody went, oh, my God, this thing, yeah. you know, and so they, they had <laughs> yeah. the sequel perfectly teed up for it. So, OK, all right. Uh- <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, because like and again, I, I think it's a mistake. I wrote an article for The Hollywood Reporter about this. Like, I think it's a mistake for. Marvel to not allow Peter to age because like Peter is now for people like you and I mm-hmm. like, like if, if I'm going to tell a kid that they should read a Spider-Man comic, if you're doing your job, well, I'm telling them to do read a miles comic because he's the hip young Spider-Man. He's right. meant to be reflective of a new generation of Spider-Man. Readers, right. You know? Right. And if I'm still recommending Peter's books, I feel like there's a, something really has gone wrong there. You know, like I get that Peter is like the guy and, you know, like, and they need to sell comics, but like, I don't know why you need to keep selling Peter as young hip Spider-Man when you've got one sitting right there that like fits that role way better. Um, right. So you could tell two different kinds of stories as opposed to trying to keep them similar and, you know, keeping Peter young. Um, I will say one of the things I really liked about the Spidey series, and I'm glad that they retained it for the treasury is that each issue opens with a one page origin. Yeah. It's a montage and it, and it perfectly tells the Spider-Man origin in one page. Okay. Uncle Ben, the wrestling thing. He, then, then it's young Spider-Man, like, and it's got his logo. Like, I'm like, it, it reminds me of those little blurbs they used to have at the top of the pages, you know, the little origins right at the very top. Right, and it's like, yeah. yeah, for any Marvel, I mean, the, the, the operating theory Marvel used to be every comic is somebody's first. So you want to not make them feel like they're completely at sea. And so 
again, I don't know anybody who doesn't know Spider-Man's origin at this point. I think it's seeped into the popular culture to the point that even if you've never read a Spider-Man comic in your life, you know, oh, you got bit by a radio spider. And they were like, we're not even going to include it in the MCU. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Brooklyn, you know, that's it. Or Queen, yeah, Queens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Queen, you were, yeah. I remember seeing that movie in the theater, right? And the word Queens came up and everyone in the theater started to laugh, a laugh yeah. of recognition. And I went, wow, that's it. Like, everyone's hip to this already. They're already yeah, they're yeah, the head yeah. of the story. They know where we're headed here. They already know what this is. And so I love that they included that in the comic. And I like that when they reprinted it for the treasury, they left it in all three issues. They didn't cut yeah. it out. They could have, because they could have been like, well, we are, you know, the readers already saw this, but I love that they, they left it in. So I think that was, you're that probably was- ascribing that to choice. Whereas I would more likely ascribe that to like uh laziness. No, but, 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 they didn't but notice fair enough. Pay fair enough. All right. Um, um, <laughs> I mean, one- I, I think this book is actually a really perfect example of like that redundancy of the characters which is like they don't have a modern Spider-Man story that's in continuity that would fit in a book like this. Mm-hmm. So they created one that brings him back to his teen years. And it feels a little redundant alongside side Miles, even though I enjoy both. But it does go to say, like, Peter has kind of moved on. Anyway, you, you were going to say something. Oh, no, just one very, like, one incredibly... Uh, silly little detail that I've thrown in is uh, that that I I feel like I have to because I'm such a nerd about this stuff is one of the things I loved about the the old treasuries was when they had an extra page or two right you know they reprint all the stories in there like oh we're a page short we're two pages short yeah they would stick in like a puzzle page or some a lot of times it was humor it was like something meant to be funny and in fact uh, my favorite Spider-Man treasury of all time is Marvel treasure edition number 18, the astonishing Spider-Man, which is a collection of um, team Marvel team ups that he did. And I had it as a kid and it is absolutely beloved to me. And in between the stories, they have humor pages from the Marvel, not brand Eck series in the sixties. Oh. And I remembered being a kid. In fact, I still, I actually, I even have a photo of me at like seven years old reading this on our couch and, and when we were on vacation in the, in the Poconos of Pennsylvania. And there was something about the, the stories are very serious. It's Spider-Man and Ghost Rider, Spider-Man and Iron Fist, Spider-Man and Werewolf by Night, Spider-Man and the X-Men. But in between are these funny pages. And I remember thinking, wow, like Marvel is willing to kind of like make fun of their characters. And I, at the, as a, as a kid, like I found that very charming that like this yeah. wasn't taken so serious. Like DC kind of never did that. They were much more serious, but yeah. Marvel was like, no, we could do like these gag pages in the middle. And there's <laughs> a, there's a thing here where there's a page that separates Spidey number three from Spider-Man number one. And all they do is just reprint this giant icon of Spider-Man on the page. And I'm like, Oh, now like they could have thrown in like a little puzzle page or something, which I know modern kids don't care about. That's, that's old person me. But I was like, Oh, I could have started like just something funny in the middle or something. Instead of just kind of, you know, they just slapped the graphic in there. But again, that is an incredibly obsessive complaint. It, uh. <laughs> is it though? I mean, like they could have done anything. They could have done anything. I mean, they did it again here at the end with yeah. Miles's logo. So yeah. I just thought, ah, you know, you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to 
maybe gives people a complete picture for the, your your nine ninety five or whatever it was that that they charged. But overall, I think it is a really, I think it's a really solid collection. I do. I quibble a little that the Miles Morales stuff seems kind of so tonally weird from the other stuff. But okay, I'm glad that both Spider Mans are represented, so that's a good thing. And you know, I. I'm like I said, I would love to talk to somebody at Marvel and find out how well this did. Again, it must not have done that well because they never did another one. And I would imagine if you can't sell a Spider-Man treasury, you're not selling any treasuries because he's, <laughs> he's your marquee character. I mean, what are you going to yeah. do? Sell Captain yeah. America versus Spider-Man? No, Spider-Man's going to, if you're going to move any books, it's going to be Spider-Man. Yeah. So, you know, it's one shot. They never kind of did it again. It's a darn shame, but I, I still love it and I love that it exists and I bought copies for, kids that i knew because i wanted marvel to be like i wanted to vote with my dollars as best i could to get people to you know come on get do the treasures again but you know this is what we have well i wish i had more information for you on that regard because like i do think this sounds like it's important to your show like somewhere in the history of spidey treasury edition is potentially the death of the treasury edition yeah um so but I, I unfortunately do not have that information. Yeah, I mean, because they, you know, I'm sure Marvel Comics is not interested in telling some rando what oh, things yeah. sold. Um, <laughs> so, and I look, and one last detail that I will again obsess over uh, is that if you look in these pages, right, you see on these pages, and again, we'll have some of these on the on the gallery site. They have on the left hand side and on the right hand side these little banners. That just say Spidey 1, Spidey 2, Spidey 3. And they're repeated on every page. And that is because the standard classic treasury format, which is 10 by 13 and a half, the modern comic book page is narrower than yeah. what will fit a 13, a 10 by, you know, 10 inch wide page. So they have dead space. And so here they filled it with these little, just these recurring banners and it's on every single page. And they did that for the guardians book and they did it for the women of power. Every treasury Marvel has done since then, they got rid of that and they simply cut the paper. So all their treasuries are now this same height, but they're much, oh, they're much less wide. And I, I realize this is so ridiculous, but I'm like, well, those aren't treasuries then. Because they're not the right size, <laughs> which is which is absolutely ridiculous. I'm owning that. I but- want to see you in New York City outside the Marvel offices with a <laughs> sign, you know, like the treasuries are a lie. Like, like it's you'll so be sad. that guy. I oh, I am that guy. I definitely am. And Marvel's the you know DC's not in uh, New York anymore, so Marvel's the only one I could get to would be the Marvel office. So, <laughs> so there you go. But yeah. I am glad that the, I mean, how many, do you know just offhand, like how many spider titles are published by Marvel in a given month? Is it like Batman level where there's like 20? It's, yeah. Of them? It's Batman or beyond Batman level. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, amazing Spider-Man is now ships every other week. You know, there's not a spectacular Spider-Man currently, but you know, there's a lot of ancillary titles. It also depends on if you count like the venom and symbiotes line. As part I count those. Of, it's part of the universe, I would guess. I mean, yeah. there's like at least five or six of those a month right now. You know, um, <laughs> oh it's God. they have. It's funny because I started my website, which is now kind of defunct. I wanted to cover all of Spider-Man as like a newsworthy endeavor. Nobody reads comic news, so that <laughs> it lasted several years, and 
is defunct now. But um, it started off when there was only one book. You know, it was Amazing Spider-Man. That was it. And eventually, I had to hire a team of like twelve people just to cover all the books because oh my it was God. like I, wow. I, I, you know, I was covering it during this explosion of Spider titles. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a lot. It is a lot of content, which is, is why we only cover Amazing Spider-Man on my show, right? Because right. we have lives. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> I mean, read, it's, I read it yeah. all. You know, I read it all, but uh. To give a thorough review of every book you know, would be my entire life. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like if you're doing yeah. a Batman podcast, you got to focus on some part of Batman. You can't do Batman because you're just the it's the avalanche of material. So there's, yeah, there's... I mean, like Batman, I think makes some sense. Like the idea of family has been baked in mm. to Batman from like very early on. Spider Man, I've always seen as like the loner hero, and now there's a ton of other Spider characters. It's a it's a weird fit, but it's what Marvel ha- you know what sells, so they're they're going after it. Okay. Now, do you you mentioned you have a couple of treasuries? Do you have any of the '70s Spider-Man treasuries? I don't know. I mean, I know like I have like the the spectacular magazines. I don't okay. know if you count those as treasuries. Nope. Those are that's uh, a different thing. So it's a different thing. Then I probably don't. I'd have to look through and figure it out, but um. It really is not a format that I've really like. I see them and I'm like, I haven't delved into this. I think really because I'm like, I have no idea how to store these properly. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, like they just, I need to bag and board them and I just don't have enough bags and boards of that size. You know? <laughs> so what are you going to do? I store mine on a bookshelf. That's how I get around it. I yeah, don't bag yeah, and board so. them. They're just on my bookshelf. So, cause yeah, I would love to know as a, as a Spider-Man fan more, well-versed in modern Spider-Man, what these classic treasuries would do for you as a, you know, just as a presentation. Cause he got, as you might expect, he got a lot of them. I mean, Marvel really, uh, by the end of the, the Marvel treasury edition series, they were just alternating between him and Hulk. It just, it became Spidey Hulk, Spidey Hulk, Spidey Hulk. And then one month it was Spidey and Hulk. You know, they just were like, let's all these other characters. We gave everybody a shot. Thor got a couple. The Fantastic Four got a couple. The Avengers got one. Howard the Duck got one. But by the time the Spider-Man show was on and the Hulk show was on, they just were like, no, let's just let's just give everybody the most popular characters. So it really kind of became the Spider-Man Hulk treasury series. Um, So I would love to know. I would love to see your opinion on like what these some of these classic like story choices and things like that. So, um, well, I mean, uh, my my addiction for comics collecting has no bottom. And so therefore, as I continue to knock off other series, I'm sure that I will get to the treasuries and then I will come to you. All right. Uh, specifically and ask where to begin and how to do it. So. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Dan, uh, thank you for, for doing this. Like I said, I listen to your show, even though I don't read Spider-Man because that's how entertaining <laughs> it is. I just find it to be a really, really fun show to listen to. And well, that's really kind of you to say. We, we do do non-modern stuff. Like right. we yes. do cover non-modern stuff. So if that's not your jam, which I totally get if it's not like your listeners, like we've got, we're covering the Ron, uh, or the Ron friends, Tom DeFalco run right now. And uh, we we've covered everything up until then on the show. So you know, if, if you're looking for like some classic Spidey stuff, we got plenty of that. Absolutely. Well, this is a perfect opportunity. Why don't you tell people you didn't your show and where they can find it? Sure. Well, so my show is the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. It's available wherever podcasts can be found. 
Um, but really, if you want to find all the different places to go and dig through a, cat- a catalog, just go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com. It'll send you wherever you need to go, and you can uh, like look up. We have a bunch of different series. We have a seasonal series where we've been kind of going run by run through the, the comics and with a series of discussions. We've interviewed over 100 Spider-Man creators on the show. That's amazing. Uh, Great stuff. Jerry Conway's no pun been intended. on the show seven times. Uh, we kind of on like a hiatus with Jerry Conway, um, which is crazy to say. So it's, it's, it's a really awesome place, you know, at least for me to dive into the, my hobby and love of the character and explore all the different facets of him from animation to rec- We have uh, whole episodes on the albums, uh, the record albums, you know, like if, if you're interested in Spider-Man or getting started learning about Spider-Man, you know, obviously, I would say there's no better place than my show, but I mean it. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, so that's amazing spider talk. You can find it anywhere. Um, and just dive on in. Every episode is someone's first episode. So Absolutely. why not? Just as a side comment before we sign off here, because I don't always have other podcasters on the show with me. Uh, and you've done a lot of creator interviews and, and I have on this show and other shows. When you're, when you were growing up reading comics, right? You're a kid. Did you ever, could you wrap your brain around the idea of when you were a kid, then you, some of the names you saw in these books, you were going to get to talk to these people eventually. Oh, I, I it breaks your brain, first, right? <laughs> I remember the first time we had Jerry Conway on, I was like physically shaking. Yeah, me too. Uh, yep. you, you know, and now I'm like, I'm buddies with him. It's kind of weird. You it, know? it really is. It, it is really funny. Is. Like who are the people that are still holdouts that like I could invite a million times and they won't come on. <laughs> You know, um, uh, whereas you get like real industry legends on with no problem, mm-hmm. you know, so that that's always interesting to me. But uh, yeah, it, it is it is it's almost become commonplace now that I don't really get shaken up by it anymore. But there are there will be people that come on that, I you know, I like we had we had John Romita Jr. on recently and I'm a huge fan of his. And I mean, he made it really easy because he's the nicest guy. You know, mm-hmm. but you know that was a big deal. Todd McFarlane was on, and that guy is big outside of comics. Mm-hmm. You know, so and in his mind, yeah. he's even bigger. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. Mostly just because, like, sometimes you're like worried about these outsized personalities. You know, and 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 uh, you know, you worry about treading the line. You know, like what is appropriate, what's not, and so on and so forth. <laughs> um, but it's funny because, like, the the and I'm sure this is true with you. It's like. The people that I really want to have on the show that I can't get on the show that other people will be like, why do you want to talk to that person? Those are the people I get really excited and nervous about. Oh, totally. Uh, totally. You yeah. Know, like I would love to have like Steve Wacker or Nick Lowe on the show who edited the Spider-Man book over the past 20 years just to find out about that process of editing this title. I don't, I've tried everything I can to get them on, you know, and I've had some near successes you know, and I don't think most people would be super thrilled to hear from either of them. But for me, that would be the ultimate. Anyway, that was a long oh, answer. No, no, totally. I have I've had yeah. that same experience. I've I've spoken to some people that I'm like, look, I don't think anyone's going to care about this but me. But I got to do it, and that's the yeah. you know. So that's cool. But yeah, I just when I was a kid and I would lay on the floor of my room reading comics and I looked at the names and like the names. You know, they meant something on some level. I was like, well, these are people. I guess this is their job, I guess. Like, is that a thing? You know, when you're eight, you don't really understand that idea of like, you know, your dad goes to his job, you know, or your mom. Yeah. But, like, 
did do people get paid to do this? And then you get to like meet them and you're just, you know, you're just like, wow. Yeah. I get to, okay. I'm talking to Jerry Conway. But then they also become like normal people. Yes. Like they are, they are people too, you know, and some of them I would quantify as like narrative geniuses, you know, or artistic geniuses, but most of them come across just as nice people, you know, and, and that's, that's refreshing in its own way. It absolutely, absolutely is. Well, uh, speaking of refreshing, Dan, thank you for coming on the show and schooling me about modern Spider-Man. I don't know how much of a sales pitch I did for the treasuries on your end, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, okay, I'll, I, I can live with that. But like I said, I, I, I wanted to get a better sense of where Spider-Man was slash is as of this treasury. And I'm glad that I did because it was like, okay, now I kind of have a better understanding of where Spider-Man was. And I love, I do love this book. I wish Marvel had done more of them. And I really, really, you are on a lot of, you do your own shows, you're writing things, you are in your, you make a lot of guest appearances and other shows I listen to. So you're very busy. So I very much appreciate you coming on the show to do this with me. It was just great. I appreciate the invite and I had a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to talking to you more about treasuries as I, as I embark down that path. As people will know, once I get started, I will not shut up about them. So uh, <laughs> I, I, will, I welcome it. I welcome it. All right. Very cool. So, all right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I want you to stay tuned. I'm going to run some podcast promos. And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobberin' time. DC Comics presents. Of course. Supervillain Team-Up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Adventures into the Unknown. Tales from the Crypt. Skeleton Hand. The Haunt of Fear. Dark Shadows. Vampirella. The Haunted Tank. The Heap. Eerie. Swamp Thing. Weird Mysteries. Tomb of Dracula. Tales of the Unexpected. Werewolf by Night. The Demon. Man Thing. Monster of Frankenstein. Brother Voodoo. The Son of Satan. Night Force. The Living Mummy. The Sandman. Tomb of Darkness. Evil Ernie. Saga of the Swamp Thing. Flinch. Hellblazer. Thirty Days of Night. Preacher. The Walking Dead. What do these titles have in common? All of them. From Adventures into the Unknown, to Tales from the Crypt, to the House of Mystery, to the Tomb of Dracula, may be found in the Long Box of Darkness. 
I'm your host, Herman Lowe. Join me every Monday night for a journey into comic book horror as we delve into the secrets of the long box of darkness. So listen if you dare, puny mortals, to the long box of darkness, available on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. And check out the blog at www.longboxofdarkness.com. Good night, and pleasant screams. <laughs> And it's time for listener feedback. And these are the comments we got on Treasure Cast episode number 81, Limited Collector's Edition Superman with my guest, Henry Bernstein. First up is Dr. Ange, who says, great discussion of a treasury I don't own and have never seen in the wild. This has to be a Neil Adams cover. Professor Lewis Lang was an archaeologist, always finding relics and totems with wacky powers. But I think he even wore the pith helmet in Smallville. We get it, dude. Lumai Lanai was the superhero of Starl. She starred in Action Comics number 289, and it was Supergirl who set Superman up with her because Luma looked like Kara grown up. It includes one of the cringiest Superman Supergirl panels ever. And Ange provides the link, and it's the whole uh, cousins marrying thing. <laughs> uh, and like Henry, I love Mixie stories. Love them. Love this one. Susie Tompkins is always a pain and was actually a villain in Grant Morrison's new 52 action run. Wow. Lastly, it's a great time for Superman. Philip Kennedy Johnson is crushing it on Action Comics. Good to know, Ange, and uh, get well soon, my friend. Professor Chuck Galetta says, FYI, in October 2023, there will be a Superman conference at the Cleveland Public Library. It's hosted by the Ohio Center for the Book. Scheduled guest keynote speakers include Mark Wade and Philip Kennedy Johnson. There he is again. One of the folks spearheading the event is Valentino Zolo, a BGSU alum. If anyone will be near Ohio this autumn, I hope to see you there. Edo Boznar says, another fine episode with a fine guest. Never had this particular book, never even read the stories. But your conversation about Silver Age Superman reminded me of my own thoughts about them when I was reading the various Superman digests. And your comments about yet another of those panoramas on the back cover of a treasury again remind me that even as a notorious cutter-upper of comics, back in my earliest comic reading days, I did not, in fact, take up the challenge of trying to make one of these work. Gene Popa says, a great job, Robin Henry. I bought this treasury new back in 1975. And for a nine-year-old me, a whole dollar was a very big expenditure. And I loved it because it was a rare chance for me to enjoy some Golden Age Superman. Although now in my advanced adult years, I realize that the story quality for this edition was, shall we say, erratic. My vote for who did the cover was Bob Oxner on pencils, but Neil Adam inking it. It wasn't entirely unknown for Adams to do that, sometimes just for the heck of it. Even as a kid, I thought Steve Snappin' was odd for a Superman story. Uh, usually, you'd expect such a character to be named something more waspily generic like Steve Smith. But I eventually learned about Milt Snappen, one of DC's top letterers since the 40s. And I'm going to guess that writer Jerry Siegel or editor Mort Weinzinger chose perhaps this as an inside joke to use Milt's surname. Or else Milt himself, who after all probably did the lettering for the story, just decided, screw it, I'm going to write my name instead. Uh, I really wish that in the later 1970s, DC had done a treasury which collected some of the more recent Superman stories from a few years earlier. For me, that era is criminally overlooked to this day. In my head canon, 
I even have a theme for the treasury, powerlessness. I'd collect Superman number 269, The Secret of the Eighth Superman by Gary Bates, Kurt Swan, and Murphy Anderson, along with the epic four-part Who Took the Super Out of Superman from Superman 296 through 299, written by Bates and Elliot S. Magan, with art by Swan and Oxner. Heck, I'd love to see DC collect them and do a trade now, just remind fans of how good so many of the 70s stories were. Yeah, they. I guess they figured that more recent stories weren't worthy being put in a treasury but yeah i would have loved to have, have seen that as well gene and uh by the way uh i think your your estimation that maybe oxner penciled the cover and adam inked it um i'm i don't know why that didn't occur to me that's absolutely possible neil adams did a ton of inking for dc and i think marvel too he didn't just pencil and ink um his own work sometimes he inked others and i could see that you know if oxner's pencils were in the office and neil was in there why not? So uh, that, I think that's a uh, completely reasonable theory. Martin Gray says, I'm with Eugene. The Bronze Age Superman is horribly underrated. There's a bugger all on DC Infinite, for one thing. Who took the Super out of Superman was collected in a UK Digest, Superman pocketbook number one from Edgemont. It's pretty cheap on eBay when it shows up. There were 20 issues, full Bronze Age joy. The covers are at the Grand Database if you want to see what's there. Thank you so much, Martin. Matt Saroy says, Silly Superman stories succinctly summarized seriously soothe Sorosi's stressed synapses. Sorry. What I meant to say is, after a very stressful weekend, this episode of Treasure Cast was exactly what I needed. It was fun to not listen to the wild plots that sent Superman through time, into outer space, or challenged by bratty kids and annoying interdimensional traps. Uh, it was even more fun to hear the reactions you gentlemen had to them. Thank you both so much. Well, I don't want to see superhero comics get back to these zany antics. I do feel that the stories have become far too serious. The sense of fun and whimsy seems to be sorely lacking in the majority of today's superhero adventures. This episode, much like Mountain Comics, which I hope will be back soon. Of course, now you know, Matt, that it is. Reminded me of the sheer joy and fun comics offer. The reason I loved them to begin with. It's just what I needed at this moment. P.S. Rob, if you need any help at the cabin this year, drop me a line. I'll bring the yoo-hoo. Thank you, Matt. Stavinsky says, highly entertaining show, guys. This was one of those times that I hadn't recalled owning the treasury until I got a glimpse of the cover. Then the memory started flooding back. I certainly feel the same about it being a Neil Adams image drifting past the Statue of Liberty. But I'd like to present a defense for those of us who did indeed destroy the back cover to cut out Aviat Poorly, the diorama. It's very easy to throw shade of today's collector standards on a child of the 70s, but the fact of the matter is that the concept of collectability and minty goodness simply didn't exist back then, at least not for a seven-year-old kid. I kept my combo collection in cardboard under the bed storage bo- in the, under the bed storage boxes, for Christ's sakes, unbagged. So do I wish I had a nice readable copy of this and the other Lost Treasure editions? Sure I do. But I do regret putting uh, my fingers in danger using the sharp family scissors. No such thing as safety scissors back then, folks. Yeah, it was the 70s. To cut out Superman and have neat little diorama to display in my bedroom? Not one bit. It was fun creating something from books that I loved oh so much. If the 80s and 90s could be faulted for anything, I'd say the era snatched a lot of the fun from comics. Those comics I owned are gone now, as are the dioramas. They remain a treasured part of my childhood, and I wouldn't trade those memories for any mint condition comic you offered up. Thanks for letting me have my say. The defense rests. Peace. All fair points, Stanetsky. I I think the reason... I think, like I said on the show, the reason I didn't cut out the dioramas, partly because I just didn't want to mar the comic book. Although I did, sometimes I did the puzzles, so that doesn't really track. And like I said, I think part of it was I just knew that these dioramas are just too tough. They're just just too much work. I think it was more laziness than worrying about something being uh, minty and collectible. Because I used to mar my comics all the time. I would draw faces and stuff, and also, you know, fill out um, 
subscription forms that I was never going to send in. I don't know what that was about. I guess I was trying to manifest or something, but uh, I, 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 I hear your point. Chris Franklin, of course, from this very network says, I haven't had a chance to listen to the episode yet. I'm behind on my podcast. Come on, Chris. But the cover looks to me to be by Bob Oxner to me. And that's who Mike's Amazing World credits. It's tricky because Oxner could channel slash absorb artists like Adams, Kurt Swan, and JLGL, PBHN. Swan could have possibly been involved as penciler with Oxner and Inks because that kid's face looks quite Swan-like. Adams did the artwork on a power record release that has a very similar pose with a kid riding on Superman's back. Both images are from 1975, so I don't know which one came first. If this was covered in the episode, I apologize, but who knows me knows I can't resist a comic book credit mystery. Yeah, because we did not bring that up. And you're right. I can't believe I forgot. I know the power record so well that there is a Superman power record that has the same exact image on it. So the same artists on both, they just reuse it. It would make sense. I mean, you could play power records would probably steal it from the DC comics cover, but uh, again, maybe we'll never know. And then finally, Brett Young says, great show, Robin Henry, a lot of Swan talk in this one. Well, I didn't know about this particular treasury. I actually own an original copy of one of the stories. Unfortunately, it's action comics 315, the first part of the Ziggy and Zaggy story. Now with the magic of this treasury, I was able to find out how things turned out for these little scamps. <laughs> and it was to, and it was to assist Superman in getting some strange Ziggy and Zaggy set up soups with their space sister Zyra while her boyfriend slowly suffocates on a dead planet. Fortunately for this guy, Superman's weakness, fear of commitment, inspires him to save the boyfriend and reunite him with the straying Zyra. I'm sure everything will work out for great for those two. Very grim, Mr. Dorfman. 5060 Superman was fascinating. He was a do-anything skirt chaser with a fluctuating moral compass. And despite being the fittest man on the planet, always seemed like he had a 45-inch waist. This guy would save an entire solar system one minute, and then the next, publicly humiliate Lois to teach her not to have her own hopes and dreams. Just an amazing time. Always love the page fillers. The super game is great. Ma Kent's been working out. And Lewis Lang, who the hell is this guy? Was Lana's dad a colonizer? Keep up the good work. Uh, I can say the same to you, Brett. I absolutely love your comments. So uh, thanks, everybody, for all the comments. And big thanks to Dan Gavazdin for coming by. Uh, as I said, co-hosted the Amazing Spider Talk podcast, uh, getting a genuine Spider-Man expert in here to talk about uh, this Spidey Marvel Treasury Edition, uh, which I said I hoped was the beginnings of Marvel doing a whole new line of treasuries and it didn't quite work out, but I'm, but I'm glad we have at least this one. So again, big thanks to him for coming by and doing the show. I really appreciate it. So that's going to do it for this episode of Treasury Cast. You can find all the back episodes on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show and any podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking treasuries over at on Twitter at Treasury Comics. And then finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash Podcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is even name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Jeff Pullier, Brett Young, and Mark Balbus for the support of Treasury Cast. I really appreciate it. So that is going to do it. We will see you next month. But until then, go big or go home. Where are you coming from, Spider-Man? Nobody knows who you are.